Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck. This week, I sat down and chatted with Jake Freeman about his set here at Lower Gentry Studios. If you missed last week's episode, be sure to listen to that performance first, or better yet, watch it on YouTube if you have time outside of your commute to kick back and absorb the expertly executed music. Jake played three songs for us with his accompaniment, a young up-and-coming guitarist, Noble Holt. We discussed his extended single, Sad-Eyed Mariposa, which you can find now on Bandcamp and other streaming platforms, and how he arrived at his unique sound. Enjoy our conversation. Thanks for coming in, Jake. Yeah, thank you for having us. And you have Noble with you as well. Noble Holt. Noble Holt. That's me. Uh, Hired gun on guitar. Uh, He plays for free, but... (laughs) Oh, that's nice. So do you yeah. have some contact information for everybody that you want to share? <laughs> well. Birthday parties. <laughs> yeah, birthday parties, bat mitzvahs, that sort of thing. Cool. Anything of the sort. <laughs> so uh, you've been productive during the pandemic. Yeah. Jake, we're releasing music, mm-hmm. an EP, and then an extended single. Yep. And you have those on Bandcamp. Bandcamp, Spotify, YouTube. Whatever they're they're all streaming platforms. Yeah, Bandcamp is probably the preferred platform yeah, as definitely. an artist. Of course, you can actually you can purchase things on Bandcamp, mm-hmm. and you get a big chunk of that. Yeah, more so than anywhere else. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, so Mariposa, sad-eyed Mariposa. Mm-hmm. That's a great song. Thank you. And you played that first for us. What mm-hmm. was the influence behind that? What was the motivation? Um, that song started as a poem as I feel most songs I write do and I uh, wrote it while I was out walking my dogs one night probably maybe last late last spring sometime and uh, it kind of just sat there and I didn't really think about it for a while and then uh, I don't know back in like April I think or March when we recorded that I just I wanted to record a song and uh, I I kind of forgotten about it and then I played it again and I played it for a couple people and I you know started thinking oh like maybe that'll be a cool song to record and I I kind of got really into uh, synthesizers last year like I actually like I didn't really play much guitar for like three or four months and I just got really into like making uh, ambient music and synth pads and I wanted to record something that I could use those instruments and those like you know create those arrangements for and i wanted to like write a song or record a song that i I feel like like that's a folk song to me and then sort of adorn it with all of those other you know production qualities and instrument instrumental like kind of ambient qualities Um, and so that was kind of like my goal with that tune was that it wasn't really so much about like, it wasn't like a guitar song or like a vocal song. It was very much about the atmosphere and the vibes. And when we recorded it, like that was kind of our intention in doing it. And of course, like Noble plays a really beautiful guitar parts in the whole song and there's a really great solo and my friend who lives in San Francisco Alex Kidd played the pedal steel on that one so yeah we kind of just like we rehearsed maybe like once or twice for it and I kind of like showed Noble some parts that I'd written and then he added his flavor to it and then we just spent a day recording it and I think uh, we're you know kind of pleasantly surprised with what happened kind of with you know recording something more with the intention of it being a mood rather than like a a genre or something like that. 
it seems to have a solid baseline, mm-hmm. the song itself, mm-hmm. because when you just played it just now for us, mm-hmm. um, which this is being posted a week after yeah. that, that live video, but the song seems to be able to have really strong legs on its own. Yeah. You can play it with an acoustic guitar. Totally. And it's going to be fine with you singing it. You can add a lot of different parts to it. And I thought that it was uh, cool how you had those synthesizers in there. And we talked a little bit before we started how I asked you if you were, were have a Pink Floyd influence. Mm-hmm. Because when I listened to that song, it was kind of a Pink Floyd with a cus- country western mm-hmm. type of vibe. But they were melded together yeah, in a very cohesive manner. Yeah, for sure. I think that's kind of like a goal of mine and probably a goal of ours and like, you know, being in Idaho and being around a lot of Western culture and country music and like really liking a lot of those sounds, but not wanting to just repeat the same sounds you've heard before and bring in other flavors. And, you know, what you mentioned about it being a song on its own with an acoustic guitar, like with very minimal arrangement. One of my friends... I don't know, or like mentors, when I started writing songs, told me that like, if you can't play it like on a piano or on an acoustic guitar or just sing it and it has like a nice melody, you're not done writing it yet. Like you shouldn't rely on all the production to make your song good. And, and I, you know, my view on that is like, like Towns Van Zandt is my favorite, probably songwriter and artist of all time. Everybody knows Towns Van Zandt now, most people do, but you know, most of his albums are very much just fingerpick guitar, voice, maybe some harmonica, flutes and stuff like that. But the songs are so good because lyrically they're strong and melodically they're strong and they don't need anything else. I don't know, like all I hope to do is like add some other cool flavors into a song like that and kind of disguise a folk song is something, you know, bringing those flavors of psychedelia. And at the end of the day, it's it's really just like a simple progression that is something that, you know, you might hear like on a 1940s folk tune or something like that, you know? It came together really well. Thank you. Congratulations on that. So I suggest everybody check that version out that you recorded in the studio on Bandcamp. Yeah. How did you record it? Where did you go? We've been recording at uh, the Tonic Room Studio in Boise with Jason Ringlesetter. And honestly, like a lot of that sound outside of like the actual physical instruments that we used, Jason is just like so incredible at mixing like his mixes are like 3D and have incredible depth and he's been doing it for a long time. And, you know, that song wouldn't have sounded the same if I if someone else would have mixed it and, and recorded it. Jason recorded it as well. And he's done my mixes now for like the last two years. I think he just really knows now, like understands like what my sound is. And like you mentioned, like the Pink Floyd vocals, like I definitely was like, I love David Gilmore and Roger Waters and Rick Wright's harmonies and stuff. Mm-hmm. My friend Josh he sang harmonies on that with me and like he's incredible at like that 60s falsetto stuff. But a lot of that, aside from being like performance or like my physical capabilities as a singer is just like Jason being like, you know, like let's use this mic and put it through this slap back and hit it with a plate reverb and like, you know, like really he, he calls it his $10,000 vocal process. So, <laughs> you know, that's why the vocals sound cool. I'm I'm kind of a scratchy singer, so it feels sometimes a little artificial for that sound to exist, but that's the beauty in recorded music is that you can make it as vibey and perfect and whatnot as you want, you know? Yeah, as long as you got that frame. The framework yeah. is really solid and you can add whatever else you want yeah. on top of that, any of that other stuff. Your second song was Part to Please, uh-huh. which was also a part of which EP? That, that came out with Sad-Eyed Mary Posa kind of as a plus one. Okay. Yeah. It was a song I recorded in a session last year. I kind of like recorded it and didn't really like it because like I uh, 
I don't know. I just didn't really like, you know, vibe with me. And then I like recorded another, well, a guy I used to know who was a photographer when I lived in New York City told me that the most important thing you can do as an artist is to finish everything you start. Mm. Because if you don't, you create a bad habit of just like being prejudiced against your work and not finishing it. That is really good advice. Yeah, totally. So I thought like, well, it's not the song I didn't like. It's that I didn't feel like I was singing it well. So I like asked Jason if I could come in and just like record some new vocals. And then I liked it. And then, you know, my friend Alex also played pedal steel on that and suddenly I was like oh like that's a pretty cool honky tonkin song and so I decided to release it because you know why not <laughs> I'm thinking of all the places that I've been to picking a, a faded rose tattoo good for you good yeah. for you <laughs> I feel like sometimes you get lost in the minutiae when it's your own stuff mm-hmm. and you do critique things and if you show it to someone else or play it for someone else or whatever your creative work is, you, you're, if you give it to them without warning them about what you have in your mind, mm-hmm. most of the time people are completely unaware of totally whatever's bothering you. Yeah. You know, and the weird thing about like recording and releasing music too is that like it's a long process. Like it takes a long time to record and mix and master. And most of the records that people release, they probably worked on like a year at least ago, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe more. So like as the artist, like you might record something and then it's ready to come out a year later and you just like are totally not into it anymore because you're just bored with it, whether you played it too many times or whether your tastes have moved on. And so it's kind of this weird thing. Like whenever I release a song, like I'm usually just kind of done with it and like really kind of this feeling of like uh, relief comes that you can just like let go of it and move on with your life. Because I feel like that whole time that it's like being mixed and mastered and stuff and like you're sending notes, it's like holding you hostage, (laughs) you know? Like, and when it's finally out, you're just like, oh, I'm like so relieved. I can just like move on now and don't have to think about that anymore. Yeah. You know? (laughs) How did you keep yourself sane during the last year? Oh man. Obviously you've been productive. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, my dogs. Okay. Uh, a steady diet of heavy doses of THC. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, just, yeah, a lot of musical, a lot of hiking, a lot of trail running, and a lot of just musical meandering. And honestly, like, other than like being laid off my job for eight months or whatever, my day to day life living in Idaho didn't really change that much because of the pandemic. I was still able to like make music with people and record from home. And I honestly felt more creative and like able to do more work, like working on music than before because like I wasn't working full time, you know, or anything like that. That time opened up and yeah. allowed you to pick up a synthesizer. Yeah, definitely. What was the impetus there? Um, I got into organs first and then I realized that I didn't want to hear an organ. I wanted to like make different sounds and this comes from like i really like um like new wave like synth pop music and stuff oh okay and obviously for example like just like classic 80s stuff like okay you know uh depeche mode and joy division and oh right i'm like a huge fan of the chromatics contemporary band and gary um, newman is one of my favorites favorites pleasure principle i think is a very underrated album i mean i think it has cars or here in my car or Mm -hmm. whatever that song is that everybody latches onto but he had so many good songs on that album most of my taste comes from like 60s and 70s music like the majority of my influence does and 
I loved like like late Zeppelin. They used some synth stuff, and mm-hmm. like the, the Rolling Stones got into some cooler sounds with that. Like Frank Zappa was really innovative using synths, um, and and not like synth is such a weird thing because people just think like it's this like this electronic sound, but like it's sound yeah. design. You can create textures that you can't create with a guitar or yeah. like any other instrument. You know, like things that aren't even like melody that are just like frequency that exists in the song to like give it a certain presence. Yeah, so that's where I got interested. I had an organ first, and then like I just started like getting synths and selling them until I found some that I like. And, you know, that's like in a, most musicians just buy and sell shit all the time. Like it's an unsatisfiable uh, thirst to have new gear. But yeah, so I just kind of started noodling and I start, took some piano lessons from a friend of mine for a couple months to kind of like get my fingers used to moving in that way and like yeah. develop some dexterity. But yeah, that was, that was really, I think it was a product of boredom, you know, and just mm-hmm. having that time and a little extra cash to pursue it, you know? I think synths are actually kind of a cool blank sl- slate. Oh, yeah. Because you can just get that perfect, what exactly a perfect note is supposed to sound like. Yeah. And it is so unpleasant. Mm-hmm. It is, it's, it's eerie and it, it grates at your ears, at least for me, most mm-hmm. of the time when you hit it, and it's just like the the frequency is spiking at however many hertz. Mm-hmm. It's like that's not the quality of each instrument comes from how the harmonics are echoed throughout, you know, the the body of the instrument or mm-hmm. the string or or you know the, even the the shape of the horn. Yeah, and and to be able to mess with that and see that and and adjust those things in in real time is yeah so much fun it's really exciting like noble and i were talking about this when we were driving over here like there's sounds like a telecaster through a fender amp it's gonna set you can eq it but it's gonna sound like a telecaster through a fender amp Mm -hmm. you know like inevitably you know and if you want to use like a hammond b3 sound right like it's gonna like if you use an actual hammond b3 it's gonna sound like a hammond b3 but like you can build that uh patch on like a on a machine a synthesizer and then you can change it and tailor something that you've never heard before yeah you know and that's really exciting in recording because you start introducing just like you know how music actually affects you like on a frequency level things that you haven't heard before you know yeah and that's that's what i think is really alluring about using machines to make you know aspects of music your next song or excuse me your final song that you played was rock salt and nails Mm mm-hmm do you want to talk about that song a little yeah, bit Yeah, that's just, you know, I, I love folk music. It's like definitely like the origin of probably the majority of my songwriting influence. And like lyrically, I just love that song. Like I love the last verse where he like talks about, it's kind of sinister, but like if these ladies were thrushes or whatever, like he'd load up his shotgun and shoot them all. And like, <laughs> it's like, and he wrote that song, like I think like in the 60s or the like late 50s maybe. It's by Utah Phillips who... Mm. Uh, kind of lived here in the Northwest and he was a folk singer and like a big proponent for railroad labor unions and stuff. Yeah. And the song's been recorded by a number of people. My favorite recording is Steve Young's version on his album, Rock, Salt, and Nails. Um, but it, the, lyrically, it's just great. And I think it's a really pretty song. And I feel like a big part of music, aside from like evolving and creating your own stories and sounds, is playing old songs and keeping them alive. A lot of artists have certain songs in their arsenal or their set list that they play. And it's fun just to keep them in existence, you know, so they don't get forgotten about and left behind or whatever. And that's just one I, I like to play because I just think it's a really pretty song. Right on. Yeah. And Noble, you did a great job on the guitar. Why, thank you. How long have you been playing guitar? When I was really young, there was guitars around, so I've been playing since I was three or four years old, but uh, I never really actually started playing until I was 11 or 12, so five or six years now for real, like 
this is what I want to do, you know. That's but you noodled at a very young age. Yeah, I would sit down and figure out, like, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or something, you know, show my parents, and they were like, wow. And I was like, wow, and then <laughs> I gave up because I got into skateboarding and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, music has tight tendrils in my life, and it was hard to escape. How so old are I'm you, back. Noble? Can you tell everyone? I am uh, 17 years old. 17. I thought that was very solid playing even without that qualifier. Well, thank you very <laughs> yeah, much. He's a mystical freak of nature. <laughs> so you played on the uh, the recordings, on the extended single that you recorded? I uh, Yeah, I just I played lead guitar on uh, Mary Posis. Okay. Was the, that was the solo track that I recorded on. Right on. Did you guys record it all together, or did you layer afterward? Or how uh, did, what was yeah, that process? We, we pretty much we multi-tracked, like layered stuff. Like okay. typically, we'll do like drums and bass first, and then just start kind of laying. Like we, I think we were playing together just for practicing mm-hmm. sake while we were recording. But we did like yeah, usually drums, bass, then guitar, and then acoustic guitar, and then like the you know organ, and then synths, and then vocals last, and then pedal steel and harmony vocals very last. Oh, right on. Yeah, that's a fun process. And yeah. you did most of it in the studio. Did you do anything at home, kind no, of running around? Um, I I make demos at home, but like you know, I I it's important that everything comes like that's going to be permanently on it from the studio. Uh, Alex recorded the pedal steel from from his home in San Francisco, um, and then Josh recorded the vocals from his studio in Garden City. But otherwise, everything was done at the Tonic Room. Oh, right on. Yeah, where can people follow you? And uh, your music. Spotify, Jake Freeman, Spotify for streaming, Bandcamp, Jake Freeman 1, Bandcamp.com. You know, uh, I don't really use Facebook much, but, uh, you know, uh, there's stuff on YouTube too. So, yeah, you know, the top three, Bandcamp, YouTube, Spotify. Those are the best ways to follow yeah, you. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. And do you have a webpage where you would announce where you're going to be playing or you'll just announce that on the social media? Yeah, Instagram. I didn't mention it, Instagram. Okay. Yeah, Instagram's probably the, the biggest place I announce any of that stuff because it seems to be um, where the majority of people pay attention to things like that so excellent yeah i'll make sure to follow you on instagram then right on youtube and thanks for so much for coming in thanks noble for for joining us. us thanks for having us yeah thank you for listening to treasure valley podcast if you enjoyed this episode be sure to like share and follow we're gonna have more musicians coming through here all summer long so don't miss out